from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Good morning! Perry Groover here from Tiny House Podcast, and I'm with... Michelle! And this is Mark. And today we have... Let me see if I can get this name right. Derek Diedrichson. Hey, pretty good. All right. Can we call you Deke? Yeah, please do. No, either or. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. I, I think more people call me Deke at this point in time, including my mother. So I guess we'll go with that. Sounds good. Actually, to me. he wanted to call you Diedrich, but I told him I didn't. I didn't know if that was a proper amalgamation that you would accept or not. <laughs> that sounds much more German. Diedrich. So, so, um, so Deke. Um, so back to the listeners. So we've got Deke on the on uh, the interview today, and Deke is known around the world, apparently, for the relaxed shacks that he builds. Uh, I understand also you're, you're an artist of some sort. We'd like to hear some more of that later in the show. And then yeah. um, we also heard that you're a musician and a rapper, and so you're not going to get <laughs> off the interview without busting a few rhymes. I don't know about that, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that a little bit later. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how'd you, how'd you become famous? become famous i don't know if i'm necessarily famous i get some people telling me that but i'm like i don't know i'm just some lucky schlub who just does what he loves and does it continuously and i don't know here and there uh i don't know i guess youtube has helped spread some recognition let's call it that and uh i don't know i'm just an addict with building uh, all things that are tiny shelters tree houses tiny houses cabins i've been doing it since the 80s actually and i was one of the first very first blogs out there on the subject back in 2009 so it's just an addiction, man. <laughs> and how how did how old are you? I'm 38. I'll be 39. Uh, actually, I got some time. I'm, I'm 38 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> See how many months is that? So, <laughs> yeah. We hey, we just met recently. You came through Portland on your book signing tour. That sounds very like all highbrow and stuff. But it was a yeah. ton of fun. Can you tell can you tell our listeners a little bit about the tipping point story um, with the New York Times? Was it New York Times or New York Post? Yeah, New York Times was years back. Um, I received. I was just. I've always been building this stuff kind of for fun, and a lot of my building. Even now to this day, I'll build something I want to build for the sake of like artist shelter, just some funky structure. And by word of mouth, when I feature in a video or on my blog, someone then offers to buy it. Uh, I don't really, in half the cases, find a client first. The New York Times thing, I was shooting some videos to promote my initial book, Humble Home, Simple Shacks. But that was back when it was a self-published, like comb-bound, out-of-my-basement book. I didn't even bother trying to get it published initially. And uh, by word of mouth, YouTube videos, which took off pretty quickly and surprised me, and some cool blog interviews and press and this and that. At one point in time, I got a call from NPR to do a feature, and a big one, and then the New York Times, where they came out, and this reporter, Joyce Wadler, ghosted me for an entire day as I just built and did stuff with Salvage. And I thought it'd be, you know, as I say, I thought it'd be this little postage stamp size article in the New York Times, but when it came out, it was the cover of the Home and Garden section in three full pages, which was just nuts and led to a lot of other things. Um, of course, my website was junk at that point in time, still is, and they gave me the wrong online link, so I, <laughs> oh. I, I would have received so many more people had they not screwed up, but wow. it, was still, it was still pretty huge. That's awesome article. 
Yeah, it's still up there. I mean, they, they mislabeled it, which led to me, you know, the sensational got to grab some online readers titled the $200 micro house. I never once called the things that were featured in that particular article tiny houses because they weren't, but they right. ran with that knowing it would get some people arguing and lead to more readers. So, right. I mean, newspapers and blogs do that a lot. It's a pain in the ass, yep. but, you know, you got to roll with those punches. Clickbait from the New York Times. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And the article became huge. I still get people contacting me through it for builds. Recently, I did this little, little like, study pod thing. It's in the cover of Micro Shelters, my new book. Shameless plug. No, but... Uh, <laughs> we don't allow that here. I'm just saying. That really... I, I, I'm busting myself. That really wasn't the intent, but... On the cover of the new book, there's a picture of this little pod that opens up at the front, this very simple structure, and that was built for a NYU professor, and that was one of the gigs that still came from the um, aftermath years later of that New York Times article. I still get people calling me from that. Wow. Today's episode is sponsored by Journalists Association of America. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sensationalistic journalism of no. <laughs> so do you, do you I, I presume people pay you for these things? Yeah I, yeah, I build them for clients. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a couple ways I go about it. I do some consulting here and there, but honestly, I don't do much of that or turn it down in a lot of cases. I'm just so busy. But I do a lot of builds for people lately, and I've done some full-out tiny houses. I am a crew of one, though. Occasionally, my brother, when he's not working his 90-hour-a-week real-deal job, if you want to call it that, I bring him into the fold, but usually it's just me. So a lot of tiny house gigs, I turn down full-out ones because they take so many man-woman hours yeah. to complete. Yeah. And I don't have the attention span for that. I have a network of like other builders I'll, you know, I'll pass the people on to. I've done some full-out ones, but it's just so grueling physically that I like the smaller structures. Um, treehouse offices, backyard art studios, little escape pods, weekend cabins in the woods, that kind of stuff. Do you, are they fully equipped like... With electric and heating, or, or some are, some aren't. It depends. I mean, especially on the budget. Every every once in a while, like I had a guy recently. He's like, I want a little like just study cube in the backyard. My budget's like a thousand dollars. But you know what? I've done some stuff for that where it's like, all right, I happen to have a surplus of salvage materials that I kind of need to get rid of and use. Um, and then I'll do a lot of bartering. Like a woman recently, I built her a, a tree house, and she I, we couldn't come to a budgetary agreement. She happened to have these lush gardens of vegetables and chickens. I'm like, listen, we're pretty close here. You have a couple windows like in surplus. If you can let me use those in the build, saving me money, and trade me a bunch of tomatoes and fresh eggs, we got a deal. Right on. So the the picture that you sent me, which will be in the show notes for the listeners, is there's a picture of a like a tower almost of this t- this shack looking thing with tons of windows. Yeah. What, what is that? We actually did that for, an, I was hosting, and hosting, designing, and building for an HGTV and later on the DIY network, a series called Tiny House Builders, and that is no more at this point. We got edged out by, I mean, long story short, we kicked ass in the ratings and got uh, ratings higher than the bar they set for us, but they went with other Tiny House shows uh, like Tiny House Hunters because it's an offshoot of a brand they already have, right. and it costs no money to produce, Oh wow. um, and then a couple other ones, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, I'm... Very cool with that because that show was punishing <laughs> physically, just punishing. Really. Um, what was, so, uh, what was but anyways, that that structure is one of the builds we did in like four and a half days off grid in the woods with salvage materials. Wow, and it has no no uh, utilities in it, right? Oh no, it does. It has too many actually. It's got heat. It's got electric fireplace. It has a wine fridge. It has a flat screen TV, what? a composting toilet. Um, there's a propane uh, generator for electricity. We built a little housing unit for that. It's like it's, 
it's kind of just total glamping, you know. It's a, wow. it's more than I thought should have been put in that thing, but the network pushes for that. Oh kind of right, stuff. but with all the with all the windows, heating that thing must cost a ton. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's truth be told, and that's all we were going for. It's like a three season structure. You could Got go it. out there in the winter and heat it, and it, you could heat it up to a nice warm temperature. It's just not going to be efficient right. to do so. Right. And nobody died. No, we had some. I had to stop a near fist fight at one point. Um, we had a cast of characters, all my friends, but when you put people in this time constrained pressure cooker of building yeah. in the woods, you're getting eaten by bugs. You're not given the right tools because the production company you're with hasn't done building shows before, and all the stuff I warned them about later, they were like, You were right. They didn't give us enough of a crew. Um, I, like, messed up my back majorly. We almost had a fist fight. Another guy had a framing nailer fall on his face. So under that treehouse flooring, there's actually a giant blood stain that's hidden by the flooring. Like, enormous. Uh, we had two hospital trips on that one build. Wow. And it just goes on and on. So if they had shown that stuff in HGTV, the ratings probably would have been even higher. I think so. It would have been, like, UFC meets the... <laughs> and, I mean, HGTV's, you know, like, very clean cut let's call it they can't have any edgy humor there's no blood can be shown this and that and i understand but this our show what it should have been is like uh howard stern meets you know diy redneck so there's a you know the bleep button would have been constant whoever's editing would have gotten carpal tunnel from hitting it (laughs) that would have been a great show though well i was praying initially i'm like please i've worked for hgtv two times before that doing a whole series of online videos that were like two and three day shoots each for like kids for its tree houses and and then we toured all these micro apartments in new york for another touring one um but initially when we pitched the show i was praying for like spike tv or some other network yeah. like that that yeah. just doesn't give a damn or vice it up. even vice yeah. have been great yeah exactly we got another one in production now but at this point i just kind of don't give a damn like right. i'm I'm doing my own thing i'm my own boss i've been screwed by tv like three times and that it's just hurts. such a it's a, such a terrible game. Yeah. But this company, like, I used to keep bridges open, and when c- production companies would call me, I would hear them out and just string it along until last minute. I'm like, this is stupid. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, not to mess with them, but you just never know what's going to go. Right, where it's gonna right, go. So right. late, lately, I've been just telling them from the get go, I am not interested at all. Leave me alone. Yeah. Until one company called recently that one that is more along the line of like micro shelters, not tiny houses. Cause there's so many of those shows now, yeah. um, but it would take place in my backyard. Like, I don't want to travel. I don't want to leave. I got kids and it would be uh, my brother and my friend just doing what we do. Right. So right. we'll see what comes of that. Probably nothing, but that's all right. Cool. So speaking of, uh, you know, ratings and, and uh, editing and so forth, um, I just want to mention here at the Tiny House Podcast, we have an explicit rating. We really try to be not only irreverent, but extremely sort of authentic. So don't hold back on our on our uh, behalf. Well, um, hold, hold back a little bit because we have had some, yeah. we have had some feedback from listeners that were a little above the pale. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. That's yeah. news to me. Yeah. So it's explicit minus, right? Yes. I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch my mouth. I used to work in radio for years, and I swear like a sailor off the mic, but when I'm on the mic, you know, we're talking F-bombs, that other stuff. Right on. Uh, you know, I can shut it off, so I'll try to be good. Okay, cool. So, okay, so, um, wow, so what, what's, what's like your average, the average amount that your shocks go for? 
Oh, it runs the gamut. Like I said, I deal with bartering sometimes. Every It's tough because once in a while I'll do a workshop. If I have an existing client, I would give them a huge deal on labor and materials if they let me use their yard or property to host a workshop. Oh. Um, so there's like it's, there's no set way to price these. How many I, re- you- I, I keep it pretty cheap. I mean, most of them are like 10 grand and under, but well, most of them, let me, let me rephrase that, are like five grand and under. The tree houses, I try to, I'm like the, anti-McMansion treehouse dude. I try to help people out and build the very affordable ones that will be pretty pimped out, but will run like, you know, maybe 3000 bucks with quite a bit put into them. Wow. And how many do you, how many builds do you do a month or a year or a quarter or sometime, some regular time frame? It varies. This year was very busy. I also do a lot of home and garden shows like live builds and speaking. Um, I do a ton of workshops. I did more this past year than ever. We Traveled from Sydney, Australia to Fargo and everywhere in between wow. doing workshops. And we're doing a lot of art gallery builds lately, like Shelter as Art. I jokingly call it Shart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we've been doing a lot of those because we started some galleries and just the word and video spread. Now we're getting requests all the time to do that. We might be doing one in Pittsburgh coming up and a tie-in with, it's not in stone yet, but it's been talked about quite a bit and very close a tie-in with Barry Williams, Greg Brady of the Brady Bunch, and me and my brother doing a build and design, <laughs> wow. which will be interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, again, I, one of my favorite stories is you did you did a build for for I think some home and garden show or or some neighborhood tour or something, and then when you were all done, they're like, "Hey, we don't know what we're gonna do with this thing. You want to take it down and like take it away so we don't have to put it in the garbage?" And well, yeah. You were actually listening to my speech at Powell's? Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Can I, I'm going to tell the guys one of my favorite stories, actually, from Powell's. So he was in the, he was in the question and answer session. And um, someone, it was, so, it was really hilarious. So someone had asked him, well, um, do you have any recommendations for how I can keep out spiders? They asked him how to keep spiders yeah. out of his at his little tree forts, and someone in the audience, because apparently, you know, he didn't know he was from Portland, and someone from the audience had piped up and answered on his behalf and said, oh, well, you can use peppermint oils, <laughs> and they were talking all, and then he Pet said... him in the way out the door. Exactly. <laughs> I love it, yeah. And then, so I'll let you go with the punchline. What did you, what was your response? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> just so might be us, but I just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember any of them. So I remember your speech, just you don't remember your speech. So this lady's going on and on about essential oils and websites and things you can coat your tiny house with oh to keep God. spiders out. And he says, I hear raid works. Really I knew well. that. <laughs> So <laughs> we thought it was. So uh, where where's where's the farthest that you've been from your home? Probably Australia, well, but let's... yeah, this yeah you can't get much further than that. This past year, Dustin and I did a workshop. That, uh, this this group out there flew us out and paid us to do a workshop in Australia in Sydney. Uh, we built. I designed and we built a prototype small home for a, uh, a shelter for battered women. They're gonna try to make a village out there, and this was the prototype I designed for them. Nice. Wow. Just as a place to, you know, escape, you know, feel safe. So um, that's, that's cool. very much so in the works of trying to gun for more. And just recently, I guess they relocated in a good way the cabin, uh, which, which they've dubbed the the Rad Pad, which I didn't give it that name. But that's going to be, uh, yeah, I designed it, didn't get to name it for some reason. But that's going to be, uh, they're, they're working towards that right now, which I think is incredibly cool. Does Rad stand for something? 
I really don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I never asked. I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool enough, whatever. Let's roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. We'll try to find if they have a link to their development and put it in the show notes. If we made it a little bit bigger, I want to call it the maxi pad. <laughs> I, was, I was going that direction, yeah, too. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. So, so what's, where's, the, where's the most um, unusual place you've been or remotest place? Uh, remotest, huh? I'm trying to think. My mind, you know what's funny? Like, I've built so much stuff at this point, and I'm not just saying this. Like, my brother makes fun of me. He's like, you know, you got to mind like a sieve, and I, I'm a total ADD case. I will look through photos in the past or look at videos because I have like 250 of them and forget I ever built something at all. I'm like, oh, yeah, I built and designed that years wow. ago. Um, so this could be tough. I mean, I mentioned Fargo before, and Fargo, to me, I had no expectations of what the area would be like. And Fargo wasn't weird so much. It was just way cooler than I thought it'd be. Like. Huh. Um, some of the best restaurants I've had in pizza was in freaking Fargo. Wow, wow. <laughs> Go figure. Huh. Um, I've done, geez, I mean, I'd, I've done a ton of workshops with the Tumblebee, tum, uh, Tumblebee Tiny House Company. You know, Vancouver wasn't weird. I went way out there, but, you know, that was actually super cool as well. Um, yeah, some of the some of the backwoods treehouse builds just in my general area in New England, New England have been interesting, especially when you're going deep into the woods of Vermont where, uh, the men are lonely and the sheep are scared. <laughs> so I love Vermont. It's like I own land there. It's like well, it's probably my – I live in Massachusetts, but Vermont's probably my favorite state. But there's some interesting folks in the deep recesses of Vermont. Huh. So where, where did you uh, where did you pick up these construction skills and your aesthetic for the type of things that you build? Uh, most of it was gleaned from the, the back of Bazooka Joe comics, I think. But um, <laughs> There's you, a dated reference. Are you no, serious? No, 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 no. no. Okay. <laughs> I bet you were all up with those x-ray glasses, man. <laughs> yeah, ladies. Anyway. X-ray glasses, awesome. <laughs> I have some. Um, of course you do. No, uh, I was just always, uh, you know, even through high school, I never got to take any woodworking courses. My father at a different town's high school system was the woodworking teacher and metal shop and all that never took any of his classes but always had access to the tools and you know growing up we didn't have a ton of money so summers when he wasn't teaching he would build decks and porches and other stuff with another teacher on the side to make money and in, instead of paying for babysitting because it's money he dragged me along and i just kind of watch and later help out with what they did and i come from a stubbornly diy family you know both sides male and female um so yeah, I was always witness to, to my parents trying to fix things and build things and do things on the on the cheap. And it just, I guess, you know, sort of obviously rubbed off on me. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of trial and error. A lot of my methods are, like, self-invented, but a lot of it's kind of vernacular design or approaches to it. So later, you know, years back when I talked to a real carpenter, here's how I cut steps or do that. They would be like, oh, that's exactly how you do it. Or I didn't, I've never thought of approaching it that way. That makes a lot of sense. Huh. So it's. It's self-taught, but there's you know there's many ways to skin a cat, so it all kind of works out. Right, right, right. Um, okay, a couple of, couple of personal questions. What is your? You said you have kids. How many kids do you have? I got two kids. Yeah. Do you have a wife? I do. Yep. She's world's most tolerant wife. I was going to ask. How did, what, is, what does your family think about what you do, and do they travel with you, or do you go by yourself with your brother? No, it depends. Like we did the tiny house jamboree. They came with me. I recently I was doing a book tour of the West Coast. That was solo, uh, but then. We did a bunch of Vermont dates, and my whole family came along for those, just to have fun and hit, you know, Burlington, Montpelier, and all these cool towns up there. Um, we might be doing, yeah, so it's like half and half. I might be doing this Young Innovators Fair, 
in Philadelphia, and that might be one because it's all like I could be working alongside Lego and things like that. That might be a one where I bring the family, but it's tough. You know, some of the workshops later at night they they they're long hours, and and come nighttime we unwind with a cocktail or twelve by a fire. <laughs> so that's not really the proper setting for my kids. And right. I, you know, if I'm just working my butt off teaching workshops like twelve hours a day, hands on. It's tough to find time to, you know, to really pay attention to them at the same time. So that's where it doesn't work out. Right. So no doubt when this when this airs on Tiny House podcast, um, you're you're going to be even more famous than before. So we're looking forward to your 2016 workshops. What's your schedule look like? Are you, are you planned out for the year or are you? Oh yeah, still it's crazy. Your- at this point, we get so many offers that it's like, I guess it's a good problem, but it's like it's stressful to figure out how I can you know. Versus family time versus my own physical well-being and my time because it takes a lot to plan these and like you know just to have everything prepped and ready. Never mind promoting them, sign you know get people to sign up. We have one coming up in February at the Fuller Art Museum in Brockton, Massachusetts, ten miles outside of Boston. This museum is awesome, and they came to me to uh, to do a workshop for them. We're going to build one structure like a cabin that will be a display for the museum. Another one that will be auctioned off to help the museum. And currently, I did a fundraising build with the Cub Scouts. I'm a Cub Scout Den leader to teach them building, design, and recycling. And that's on display outside the museum right now as we speak. So that's February. Uh, RelaxShacks.com is my site if people want to sign up. It's actually filling up pretty fast. Nice. When you, um, when you, oh, do, when you do these, these, these uh, workshops with the live builds, do you know what you're going to build ahead of time? Or, or is it all like spur of the moment? No, it depends. It depends. We usually have a couple builds going on at once because I don't want like 40 people standing around and each swinging a hammer once and watching us build. So like in the Vermont workshop, we do Tiny House Summer Camp. We did the third one this past summer and we had four different builds going on at once. So you can subdivide all the groups and we'll have like 10 instructors. I hire around a bunch of people, friends, carpenters, designers. So you're just, it's it's overkill with, with teachers and, and your ability to ask people questions, pick their brains, you know, people from all walks of life and design. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I plan some of the stuff ahead of time, but it's free form enough where we did a workshop last year. And as I started building it, I said, you know what? Screw this design. It's not going to be a space efficient on the fly. We just changed it with the input of the group. So everyone gets to help out and, you know, state their case if they want to recommend something. So, which is all part of the process. Would you say that you're the busiest guy in the tiny house business? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I mean. See, what I do is like I do tiny house stuff, but I also do stuff that like others, you know, the purists or just the whoever, whatever you want to call them. Like, oh, that's not a tiny house. That's a shed or, you know, it's a backyard art studio. It doesn't link to tiny housing in any way when I beg to differ. But I'm, I am kind of sometimes busier than I should be or want to be, but. I, it's a good problem. I'm, an, I'm interested in too many things involved in a lot of stuff. I just love building, designing, and it's my chance to continue being a kid, building, you know, adult forts, if you will, for yeah. a living. So, yeah. And so, I get to travel a lot doing it, which doesn't suck. Yeah. So kind of based on that, you've got kind of, uh, you, first of all, you're kind of that hybrid of kind of a builder and an artist at the same time and a designer. Um, yeah. Like you said, you kind of have a tiny house ADD or ADHD yeah. or whatever. But if you were, I won't make you say if you had to do something for a decade, but if you were kind of forced to do one thing for a year, kind of what's your, what's your favorite thing? Yeah. Oh, geez, man. Um, I can't say there's not enough 
hours in a day. I'm one of those people, not enough hours a day, not enough life in a lifetime where there's just too many awesome, interesting, cool things to explore and do in life. So it's tough because I go through phases. Like I have been playing in bands and music for like since I was like 14. So that's quite a long time. I mean, I've toured the U.S. a couple times with bands and recorded for Columbia Records, all this crap. And I just love doing that. But hmm. I don't know. I think I have to balance it between different. Like it's 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 ADD. I need to spice it up and you know variety, keep things varied. Sure. Um, but I, I really lately I've been really into building tree houses. But it man, it's it's a lot of work because everything's yeah. ladder work. You're up in a tree. It's yeah, dangerous. Sure. Have you seen? God, I hate asking a yes or no question, but there's no way to get around this. Have you been to Cave Junction, Oregon, and visited visited the Treesort before? No, I haven't. I've seen all those videos, this and that. I've talked to those guys before. Um, you know, there's like Mark, Mike Garnier yeah. and there's Pete Nelson. Pete Nelson, my last book, The Humble Homes one, actually gave me this like embarrassingly good review on it too. And that was back before he had a show and before my book was actually published. It was the homebound version. He got a copy and gave me this review. I was like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. It's so good. Oh, um, I love that guy. Yeah. He, oh, he's a wild man. His, the stuff he does is fantastic too. That's, but truth be told, like that scale and that style treehouse, and I've been in some of his, yeah. it's not really my thing because it's, to me, it's like they're inaccessible treehouses. They're too fancy too nice. and they're yeah. great to look at, but it's like from that, that, mindset of consumerism you know consume obey more um i like the simple stuff built with recycled materials for like three thousand bucks not three hundred thousand yeah i mean i've seen him you know his budget um his budget i've seen his budget go as high as a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a treehouse yeah i mean um, the guy's an artist make no mistake phenomenal. i think it's worth, i own several yeah. of his books i think his work's incredible but my brother and i when we see the show we joke around it's formulaic the show always starts with Pete getting a call. He's like, oh, what's your budget? They'll be like, oh, 130000 He sits there. He's like, there's the tor- turmoil in his mind. Like, oh, I think we can make it work. Like, oh, my house isn't worth that much. <laughs> so you, you've mentioned a little, uh, you've, you've alluded to some of your values with regard to like McMansions and tree houses that are more like mansions. What, what do you think about the tiny house movement and, and, your, and, and, it's, and the intersection between that and your values? Yeah, I mean, the, the current state of the tiny house movement, or yeah, yeah. what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Where, where mean, it is, where it's going. What the hell do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm seeing um, as the movement gets bigger and bigger through, you know, the immediacy, immediacy of, the, of the media, internet, um, you get a lot of people who are getting into it like, oh, these are so cute, but not realizing that they have to make a lot of sacrifices to fit their stuff in them. So you're starting to see kind of the the people who are willing to go halfway they want the tiny house perhaps for the cuteness and the look and the you know it's almost the trend of it all let's call it that and of course there's others who are not into it for that whatsoever but you're starting to see and i've had this discussion with many people including builders the norm of a tiny house on wheels used to be 16 or 18 feet now it's about 24 they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger i saw a three axle one the other day which was gorgeous online and uh, it's only a matter of time before I haven't seen a four axle tiny house. <laughs> I, you know, I joked and I, I was I meant it in no disrespectful way, but someone replied replied. I said, "What when the four axle ones come?" And the person said, "You know, when the need arises." Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is true, but then it there comes true. a point like, how big do you want to 
make it and, and, and at that point like why put it on wheels uh, or yeah. i don't know like yeah. you're not gonna be able to drive the thing when it gets to be a certain size i suppose and i joke you know eventually this could be the centipede tiny house that has like a hundred <laughs> wheels under it just giant freight trains but it's, it's see, like, i'm not knocking those houses because a lot of them are absolutely gorgeous and still as compared to the average size of houses in the u.s they're incredibly small right i think it's just great that people are downsizing or at least considering it it's 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 so that the that this downsizing and people are considering it. So the the do you think that the movement is is here to stay like rap, or do you think it's more like something that's going to pass eventually? No, it's just a segue into me doing some freestyle rap. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a track so it can represent me better. No, anyway, no, no, uh, no, no recordings. We're doing it live. Not the panel live. Exactly. Oh God! You know, I'm like such a scatterbrain, remembering my own stuff. Anyways, um, on the changing the subject, tiny houses. Yeah, I mean, they—it's not really a new thing. It's just in terms of the internet and media attention, it's become new. Like, there, you know, Lester Walker put out a tiny house book in the 80s, one of the early ones, and that's what got me into it in 85 huh. when I got the book as a gift, Tiny Houses. Um, that was the first book I know of where it was just strictly based on tiny houses and my realization that you could still kind of be an adult and be into boards and smaller structures. Uh, but you go way back to Plymouth Plantation, uh, Plantation, Jamestown, all that stuff. I mean, by... Uh, efficiency, design, and materials at hand. Those houses were tiny, and they wait had a ton a, of wait, people wait living in Wait a second, there. Derek. Are you talking about Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Plantation? Yeah, we're talking old, the initial settlers' houses, how tiny they were. Well, that was, that's not really tiny house movement. That's the, those were that the, was, those are called houses. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm saying the notion of living simply right. and tiny times obviously have changed. Yeah. But, um, but well, okay, we'll erase that. <laughs> you know, we we can we can agree to disagree, but go back even to some of the Pinterest photos you could find of like the Model T, the Henry Ford Model Ts, Model As that were converted into like mini houses and wheels. Yeah. Right. Uh, granted, I I doubt many of those were lived in full time, but that's kind of the initial impetus behind the tiny houses, uh, tiny houses and wheels. You know, people like Jay Schaefer invented those. He didn't. He was I would call him the pioneer in the modern movement, no right. doubt. But that notion's been around for a long time, That's so fair. I don't think it's it's more popular than it's ever been. But I don't think it's going to go anywhere because it's always been something people have been gunning for: saving money, living simply. Huh. Yeah. Um, really quick shout out to in March of 2014, <clears throat> I bought your first book, uh, which oh. listeners can find online called "Humble Homes, Simple Shacks, Cozy Cottages, Ramshackle Retreats, Funky Forts, and Whatever Else." we could squeeze in there. And one of the reasons it appealed to me, because there was some other tiny house books, but you have that kind of art aesthetic and the, the design of the book cover that's also in the book that looks kind of like a Robert Crumb design. Yeah, I'm getting that comparison a lot. Say again? It's, uh... Oh, sorry, I'm losing you, Rob. Sorry. You there? Yeah, okay, I can hear you now. Yeah. So, you... so yeah, I, I get the Robert Crumb comparison quite a bit, although I wasn't really so much familiar with his work until I started getting the comparison. To me, it's like Al Jaffe, Mad Magazine, Where's Waldo, you know, Stan Lee, comic books, yeah. but generally being a dorky, zit-adorned uh, teen who didn't date many women and was into <laughs> comic books, and you know, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, those are my influences. Being a nerd. <laughs> well, it definitely stands out because it's fun, and it brings fun into the element of tiny houses which can sometimes i think take itself a little too seriously that was the idea and part of it was to be honest like i'm not a computer guy so to computer layout everything those were all hand sketched 
uh, by, by me originally. And it was just an experiment. And like you said, and thank you, um, let's try to come up with a different style of book where it's almost comic book meets a DIY guide to building with salvage and small structures. Some people love it and get it. Other people are just so confused and just don't give it a chance. Like they see the drawings and won't even read the ideas or captions. And, you know, I found out that like, as I looked through reviews in the past, I'm like, it's usually 70 something year old women from Florida seem to not like my book. Um, or I, get, I, get this, I get this weird demographic sense of like certain people who are just like, oh, it's absolute rubbish. It's a comic book. It's like, you know, ADD sketches. Right. It's supposed to be. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Thank you. You know, but some people just can't get around that it's hand sketches and drawings. They think that means it's cheap because yeah. everything now is so slick and computerized. It, yeah. it probably took me three times as long to make that as it would have to do a computerized layout. Right. So, Deke, why do you why do you think the tiny house and I'm I'm using I'm getting this stat from um, Kent Griswold. Why do you think the tiny house movement is mostly made up of women? Oh, Kent's absolutely wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Kent and I are buddies. I was hanging out with him in Oregon just recently. In fact, um, I don't know. You know what? This I do workshops, and honestly, um, there's a lot of women who at first might email me and like, do women attend these? Because they're scared to attend when it's like me and my giant scary brother um, hosting. And we do have a bunch of female co-hosts now, but we get about 60% women to 40 guys. And I think part of it is, you know, women aren't as, I don't know, like a lot of, like growing up, a lot of uh, male figures might not teach their daughters, you know, per the stereotypes, like how to build, how to do this and that when it's all simple. So I think some people are growing up thinking this is all rocket science when it really isn't. Um, I also think that I've met quite a few guys, you know, the age old, uh, another stereotype, you know, guys are afraid to ask for directions or help. Mm -hmm. I think you're getting a lot of guys who don't know what they're doing, but they don't want to seek help or take workshops thinking like, Oh, you know, that would, that's a sign of weakness. Um, when it's not. So I think that's part of the reason too. Uh, you know, you're seeing more women, they're more prone to ask for help when needed than guys are. Interesting, but they also, it seems, I could be wrong here, but it seems to me that a lot of the, at least... The, That's workshops, mind you, but it, right. yeah. The, the actual built homes tend, seem to be, tend, tend to be built by women. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just, just that it's certainly an era or an advanced era of just independence, you know. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure why you know, master or mistress of one's domain, you know, times are a change and they have long ago. And there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I give up. No, no, I, that's, a, that's a tough question. You know, I think about that. I've had discussions with people, but I'm not exactly sure. So, you know, this, I think you're just seeing a lot more independent solo women out there. And especially in an era when like career wise times are so demanding, you know, like a lot of people, men and women don't have time for relationships. So if they're living solo, why not go with the tiny house, which is more affordable and something they can own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd like to add a little bit to that since I'm a female, um, just, you for are? Our, just for our listeners <laughs> sake, just want to clarify. Um, I think for me anyways, building my own tiny house gave me a real sense of empowerment and sort of independence um, again, you go back to cultural biases and, you know, previous generations, we were, we were told that you, you know, you grow up and you get married and find a good man and then he'll take care of you. And now I think reality is presenting a very, very different perspective. So a lot of the people that uh, a lot of my, you know, fans, for lack of a better term, are females and they just like the notion, we like the notion that we, tiny house, 
sort of prevents, presents us with a different sense of security and independence and pride and you're sort of stepping outside those cultural norms and those sort of cultural biases that say women aren't supposed to haul lumber and, and yield yeah. a hammer and right. figure out how to plumb their own sink. We're supposed to be damsels in distress and ask for help and someone else to do it. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's challenging cultural norms and, mm. and a real sense of both financial and emotional um, security. Mm. That's my answer. I, I definitely see that. That makes, like, perfect sense to me. And it's very, I think it's very punk rock of men and or women to go and, build their own home and what a great sense of accomplishment as well but especially with women like you said michelle it's the it's kind of like the cultural norm of i dare you you can't do that and women are like oh yeah watch me yeah. <laughs> and some of the coolest tiny houses i've seen are built and designed by women it's it, yeah it's, that's hugely inspiring to other women yeah yeah it, yeah it's interesting it's it's almost i'm just going through thoughts in my mind it's it's like women getting dogs when they can't find a relationship or a guy and so they end up with dogs or cats and now it's tiny houses and, right. <laughs> you know, you, and we, were, we were talking we were talking about a guy I won't say his name who was bemoaning the fact of live that living in the tiny house prevents him from finding a, a date and so I wonder those women who are out there building tiny houses are they giving up on men entirely and moving into these tiny houses because you're definitely not going to bring a man home to your tiny house I would guess I don't know I, might be I don't know you know I, I differ with that because look at how popular and, and kind of a novelty fun almost you know and I mean freak show in a good way look at tiny houses are so hot as a media <laughs> subject right now I bet there'd be a lot of men or women who are like oh come back to my tiny house and there's the oh I'd love to see this tiny house right. the, you almost <laughs> can use the tiny house as bait <laughs> well I've seen it all now what will we do <laughs> Can we let me show you the locks? Right? <laughs> what else is tiny in this house? <laughs> That's just huge. That no, might not work to your advantage. <laughs> in the context of a tiny house, everything is good. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so we've got a little bit longer left in the interview, and I would really like to, for you to bust a few lyrics for oh, us. Oh my God! Yeah, this, I'm gonna have to see. When I when I do hip hop, a it scares people. <laughs> Because what I do is I got this new band called Inverter, uh -huh. and it's actually like New York City hardcore meets a hip-hop approach. Like there was this band Downset in the 90s I really dug. So I kind of have this. You know, I can't even do it because I have to be very loud. In my Go ahead and do way. it. So so I have this one kind of political tune, which uh see if I can remember the lyrics. It kind of goes... Uh, it's unbelievable, inconspicable, despicable. Get around your own book, and then you make it about the parables of where there's other folks waiting, chosen the roads. Rule with an iron fist and do as you're told. Bold and approach seat like a red at a roach. Gotta go give him a puppet, make him believe he's the coach, and so on. Wow, that was freaking amazing. So, but but it's, it has to be done a lot louder because it's people always say you kind of sound like a steroid using George, George Carlin. <laughs> <laughs> Grovel, it's like a half yell, half. I don't know. You can check it out. The band's Inverter, and I, that's the it's the first band I've ever fronted. I'm in a couple other bands as well where I play drums. I play drums forever. Wow, that's awesome. That was awesome, man. Again, we'll include a link to the. Uh, that was the best. Website. Delete. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So you have there's I, I forget the name of it. I'm gonna let you plug them for I'm gonna let you plug them. So there's one material that you use in a lot of your tiny houses. You do a lot I, of reclaimed stuff. Um, you do a lot of reclaimed stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your your mantra, both when it comes to the use of 
reclaimed materials, like what, what did you find, like a garbage can lid and what did you do with it kind of story. And then also, can you tell us about the, the one new material that you used most often in your builds and did you get a sponsorship? Yeah, I'm, the new material that most people see my videos know, I use this tough tech stuff. It's polycarbonate roofing. Hmm. And uh, it goes up easy. It's durable. It's affordable. Uh, I just like the look. It gives things a modern kind of, I build walls with it. It's traditionally roofing. It gives things a modern look hmm. without breaking the bank. And uh, I don't know, it's just easy to use. I use this stuff forever. Then finally they contacted me when they had some publicist to you know look for directions in which the company should expand. And they went on YouTube and found a ton of videos where I already was using the stuff. So at this point in time now, I actually have a sponsorship with, with them, which I didn't for years. Yay. So it's not a forced one. It's not like, uh, you know, Enron came out and cut me a check and I'm smiling and giving them <laughs> a thumbs up. Um, it's a company like I endorsed their product without being paid for years. You've heard of the Dumont um, House, right? You stuff. I find it everywhere. Uh, and this is aside from like restores, salvage yards, all that stuff. I build, when I say I build with recycled stuff, for the most part, it's stuff I found for nothing. You know, you'll see a lot of videos out there of people like, oh, I built this house out of 100% recycled this and that, but they bought all of it at, like, more than the new stuff might cost. Yeah, right. So um, are you looking for, like, success stories, Michelle? You know, we're saying you were saying the garbage can. What, do you, what did you do with it? I mean, you could do a couple things with the garbage can lid. I haven't, but you could make a nice, wide, funky, Oscar the Grouch-style uh, <laughs> lampshade, like a hanging lamp from it. You could... I took a bunch of Russian film cans I found recently and spray painted the interiors and made each into like a a redneck canvas because I already had the edging and did a bunch of like graffiti style drawings on them and I sold those online and made some money that I then used to buy new materials I couldn't find. Um, I don't know, trash can, that one's tough because there's a bunch you could do with it, I suppose. Um, so you know, you're also, you're yeah, awesome. the, the world's grossest lazy Susan. But yeah, no, I mean, I I find a lot of stuff in windows. I mess with quite a bit interior windows too, like uh, in bathroom or divisional doors. I will take trays from yard sales, and this is stuff I would buy, but at very little money, for very little money. original look right. and whatever I use that's kind of the whole point like how can I take something take it out of that cycle you know the, the waste stream cycle and uh, give what I build an individual and unique look give it some character while saving money and keeping stuff off the streets if you will out of garbage cans and to me it's like this cool personal challenge you know you there's triumph by triumph as you take something you found on the side of the road and find a use for it there's that you know that evil, sinister snicker inside of satisfaction. <laughs> There's some alliteration. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll have to work that into a vocal run sometime. <laughs> You're also a mixed media artist. Um, so, um, one last question for me anyways. Um, if you had to describe your artistic sort of uh, expression, um, two words, I'm going to limit you to two words. Uh, limit your artistic expression in two words. What would you call it? Frantically caffeinated. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Say that ten times fast. That's tough to say once. Exactly. <laughs> Frantically caffeinated. Yeah. So, I, yeah, a lot of my stuff is very 
people tell me like almost I used to do more uh, detailed work. I just don't have the patience for it anymore. Like really pencil sketches. Now it's all like slashes and strokes and bold colors and very like I used to play in a lot of punk bands. So very like punk rock meets graffiti. I guess, but it, it's always changing. Like I look back even two years ago at the stuff I was doing and the subject matter and the style and the approach is just different. You know, you keep moving on. There's always something new and next and that's kind of fun and exciting. Awesome. Well, um, Deke, we really appreciate you coming on today. Um, one of the best interviews yet and we say that to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I want you to do with the guy who said two words and you said that. No. <laughs> No, thank you. This is fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Next really time we'll even press record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's happened many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But I'm sure you could repeat this interview almost word for word. Thanks so yeah. much for your um, your enthusiasm and your excitement and what you're doing for the movement and everything. Thank you. Hey, thank you guys so much. Yep. And listeners, make sure you tune in next week. Talk thank to you later. Woo, see you. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 